From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. Today, we are tackling Firestarter. And we're not just tackling normal Firestarter. We are tackling John Carpenter's Firestarter. That's right. John Carpenter, icon of horror, icon of fright, was supposed to helm Firestarter originally back in the 80s, and it didn't happen. And you're about to find out what went wrong. Today's information is brought to you by the blog of Sir David Hughes slash film and Wikipedia. We are very, very excited, burning up with excitement to introduce our repeat offender guest. (laughs) She is Emily Gagne, longtime collaborator of mine, creative and otherwise. She is the newsletter editor of Dread Central, but she's also so many other things. And I'd like her to let you know about them. So welcome back. Emily, how's it going? Hello, everyone at Dread Central and uh, (laughs) listeners of Development Hell. It's a delight to be back. Just quickly about me, because I really want to get to talking about Firestarter, but have a Instagram called Final Girl Fashion, where I talk about or I I post photos of, of iconic women in iconic outfits from horror movies. So you can follow me there. And I also have my own podcast called We Really Like Her, which is about women in film. And right now we're doing a, a mini series on Jane Fonda, who doesn't have a lot of horror movies. But in mm-hmm. fact, our next episode coming out next Friday is about Barbarella, which is, uh, of course, one of her more famous uh, genre movies. Okay. Not to be confused with Ubel's Blubberella. Well, we're so excited to have you back 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 again we've had you on some of what i would consider to be some of the more classic episodes wow, of wow. development help mm-hmm, i would say that did the carrie fukunaga's it 
we did Halloween 3D. I think that's that's all. This is this our number three? Yeah, I think we definitely did a Halloween one and we did the it one, which I just it's interesting. I've mm-hmm. been put in this sort of Stephen King box, which is very interesting. Mm, you it's know? where I want you. I don't know if it's what you are, but it's where I want you. Let's start off with Firestarter, which originally was a novel written by Stephen King. And then it was adapted into a feature film, 1984. It got a direct-to-DVD sequel, but also kind of a failed miniseries in 2002 called Firestarter Rekindled. And now, as of 2022, we are getting a big Blumhouse reboot. But I'm wondering what your first encounters with the Firestarter franchise were. I wouldn't like call myself like a Stephen King expert. Like I think that I've like engaged with more of the Stephen King content through like movies than books. I think Firestarter was like one that I was like kind of initially drawn to because I like stuff that's about women and girls. And so this was one of the Stephen King properties where I was like, there's literally like a little girl on the cover. And it's also it's Drew Barrymore, who is like such an iconic part of my childhood. My first favorite movie was E.T. And of course, she made this shortly after that. Um, and so I think like I was just like immediately drawn to this before even seeing it. Like I was like I, the, a girl with powers. Like I got to see this. And um, I can't remember exactly when I first watched it, but I was definitely like a little bit older when I eventually got around to watching it. And um, I think my first viewing of it was a little bit like underwhelming. Um, and so I hadn't gone back to it in a while, but the whole like rekindled conversation about it recently with one of my favorite uh men Zac Efron being in this new one I was like "Hmm, should I give it a rewatch and then you said should we do this episode and I said I guess it's time for the rewatch it's Mm. happening (laughs) it's all coming back to Zac Efron yeah I'm excited for us to talk about this new film which of course we have known about news wise but I completely forgot about until the trailer dropped last week so what better time to rekindle (laughs) oh no I have to say the fun word so what better time to reignite Firestarter with a conversation on development hell Yes, so, yes. Or as Prodigy mm-hmm. likes to call it, Firestarter. Fire, yeah, yeah. I, I was making a Instagram story and I was yeah. looking through the music to put in it. And I just put in Fire and Firestarter by the Prodigy came up and I was very close to using it. But I thought, no, it's not the tone. Wow. Well, yeah. I just, I went there because I couldn't help it. They just, they, when they played that in uh, Yellow Jackets, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, it fucking kills. So. Oh yeah, I forget when that song gets played in Yellow Jackets. They Can were like getting chased. There was like there was like a guy that they were like meeting to like uh, oh good scene. money. Yes. and they like run through a department store and then he falls <laughs> in the glitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good show. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, Firestarter is not just a film; it is a novel. It is a miniseries. It is a rebooted film, and it all starts with a Stephen King novel of the same name. In September of 1980, Firestarter was released, one of his earliest novels. In 1981, Firestarter was nominated for Best Novel at the British Fantasy Award. In 1984, it was adapted into a film. The book, which I really like, is dedicated to Shirley Jackson. It says, via King, in memory of Shirley Jackson, who never needed to raise her voice. I like love it. it. I love it. I think it's like that she was like, uh, as a big fan of Shirley Jackson, actually, I was going to say, there's got to be some development help projects related to adapting Shirley Jackson. Wouldn't that be cool? But I'm a big fan of Shirley Jackson. And one of the things I like about her is that she is like very, it's reserved kind of horror that like sneaks up upon you. You know, it's like, it's not mm-hmm. in your face. It's like talking about society in a way that's sort of like quieter. So that that's, yeah. And speaking of story, would you mind if I gave you like a quick plot summary for the novel Firestarter? Yeah, we're please. We're talking a lot about it. In Firestarter, we have this Department of Scientific Intelligence, also known as the shop. In the very opening sequence um, in the film, we see that the shop is doing experiments on young people, and they never anticipated that two members in their research were going to marry and have a kid. And ultimately, these two people that were in their research and developed psychic skills procreate and have this child by the name of Charlie. And Charlie inherits uh, pyrokinetic powers from her parents. So I don't believe her parents themselves necessarily had 
pyrokinesis as a skill Mm -hmm. necessarily, but they did develop psychic powers like mind reading and mind domination, stuff like that. Whoa. Yeah, what a cool term. They use it in the movie. And Charlie, this little baby, develops pyrokinetic skills, pyrokinetic powers, which means you can use your mind to control fire or create fire, even if it's uncontrolled. So they were, the parents of Charlie are given this low-grade hallucination called Lot 6 during a college experiment that they sign up for because they're poor little babies. And now, all these years later, it's just Charlie and her dad, Andy, and the government is trying to capture young Charlie and harness her powers, fire starting um, as a weapon. Would you say that's that's an accurate script? Yeah, yeah. It, like, really... Um, I didn't remember that this movie just like or the book as well like just sort of takes off like it's not a lot of setup necessarily it's just sort of like they're on the run Um, and then here's the context of what happened before this you know I have not read the book it's it's a Stephen King book I have not read and I think one of the reasons for that is when I was a kid and I saw Firestarter for the first time it didn't leave much of an imprint on me it wasn't a Stephen King story or adaptation that I particularly liked. I don't think I disliked it. I think it affected me well enough for the time, but I definitely never chose to revisit it until now. I was going to say, like, did you ever, like, like feel like Carrie did a better job at kind of like a similar story about a girl with, like, powers to move things with her mind? I think Carrie does do a better job, but I don't know if I ever related the two stories in my mind as a kid. Mm-hmm. Now as an adult, and I'm way more, way more involved in the Stephen King canon, I, I definitely think that, and I definitely look at his different stories side by side. And there's he uses the trope of the psychic child so many times yeah. to varying degrees of success. And I think Firestarter, the film, is sort of in the middle. The book, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even sure what the public or the zeitgeist perception of Firestarter, the novel, is. But I think it's well-loved, well-loved enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean... But I, I think the movie, like, had its moment for a lot of different reasons, like like Drew bearing, being one of them. Uh, there's some cool elements, other stars, even the music is cool. But, like, I don't know mm-hmm. that even the movie itself was, like, that big of a hit. No, it wasn't a big hit, interestingly enough. Um, it didn't make that much money, and it critically was not a, a huge success. And Stephen King himself was on record saying that he isn't particularly a big fan. He called the movie flavorless and also said that it was like cafeteria mashed potatoes. Wow. Which is pretty rude stuff from a guy that liked the Dark Tower movie. So, Yeah, he's uh, he's got some interesting tastes that uh, yeah. Steve... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, we trust him as an like we trust him with literature. I don't know if I trust him with film and TV, and that's my hot take. That well, isn't listen, hot at all. Well, listen, like he made Maximum Overdrive, which you know, incredible, has... iconic, never the same, only one in the room, terrible yeah. movie. I there are certain people that I do think like it's they're meant to do one thing, which is writing. It's like, um, like you know, uh, Roger Ebert made a movie, the sequel to Valley of the Dolls, and uh, he never made another. Uh, so and he just so continued to write ironic. film criticism. So you know, it just <laughs> it really proves if those who can't do critique or teach, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny that he. Such a, what a douchebag. You know, if, if you're a critic and you're going to make a movie, you better wish that you better know that you're good. Otherwise, you're just asking for it. Listen, it's something I think about all the time as we create things. I'm like, oh my god, the tables are turning. Do you consider yourself a critic? I started my career as a critic you know writing for my blog so i I would say yes like Mm -hmm. i like i feel like more of a critic than a journalist um which i know sounds that sounds kind of odd but but i i do think like i like that more than i do reporting you know um i want to start talking about our feelings about mm-hmm. the 1984 Firestarter film, if that's yeah. cool with you. Yes, please. Um, but before I do, could I give you a little more technical info about who was in it? Who, what are the characters involved? What were they doing? 
all of that good stuff. Please, please give me it all because you know what? I took mm-hmm. an edible when I watched this movie, so I Very might have good. forgot the finer details. I definitely took an edible while watching it too, and I was crying. <laughs> so Firestarter, 1984, American horror movie based on Stephen King's 1980 novel of the same name. So as we were saying, it's about a little girl that develops pyrokinesis and a shady government agency who are after her and her father. And I don't think that they're up to anything good. The film was directed by Mr. Mark L. Lester, stars David Keith, Drew Barrymore, Martin Sheen, and George C. Scott. It was shot in Wilmington, Chimney Rock, and Lake Lure, North Carolina. And boy, was it beautiful when it was outside. Yeah. Um, yes. You the, know? the shop sort of location or headquarters. Oh, wowzers. Or yeah. Yeah, but it does get, you know, blown to pieces at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, with fireballs. The fireballs are when I was finally like, okay. Like, yeah. I was yeah. <laughs> credit until there were fireballs. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of underwhelmed by it, and I was ex- really excited to watch it, I remember, the first time. But I but I was I was underwhelmed comparatively, and I, as uh, I mentioned, you know, Carrie earlier, like, that's one of my favorite movies, period. So I think that, like, comparatively, I just, uh, Brian De Palma, you know, hit that one out of the park a bit, and Mark L. Lester maybe did not. So He didn't. Well, you know what? That's not necessarily true, because on the second watch, which okay. was for me earlier today, yep. it hit It hit me. I, I, I found it really emotional. I found Drew Barrymore's performance to sort of outweigh a lot of the cheesier items for a long time. Yeah, until the end where there are literally like cheesy 1980s fireballs getting shot around. I was sold because of Drew Barrymore's performance. And not just Drew Barrymore, but David Keith. Them together as a father-daughter story, which is not something... I don't know if it doesn't happen a lot or I'm just not watching a lot of father-daughter stories. But (laughs) this one hit me where it hurts and this is so stupid and i'm a piece of poo for even making the comparison but i think since i've had a dog like these these parent child stories hit a little differently and it made me so sad when they were sort of in peril and just wanted to be with one another yeah no i i get that fully i mean i believe the pets are kind of like akin to kids and should be treated as such Mm -hmm. um but like yeah it it is a powerful story about family like some of the moments like there's a lot of like mirroring of their experience like there's like cameras on them when they're in the shop and there's like the dad is crying in bed and she's crying in bed and you're just you're just like oh my god like they're so connected not just through like their abilities but um, because they love each other and it feels so genuine and also like Andy uh, McGee like so cute and mm-hmm. like so such a sweet dad and like yeah. you know there's lots of bad dads out there and it's like kind of nice to see this dad that like really yeah. cares so much about protecting his daughter and like and but also like empowering her you know to like use totally. to, to find a way to work around her abilities and can to control them in a, in a positive way you know yeah he almost like you know instead of it feels like motherhood kind of it feels like he's really nurturing this this baby and it's really beautiful and i'd like to see that more with dads on screen yeah yeah totally um, i'm i'm with you and i also think like not to bring it back to zac efron but i have to um i did i thought like this guy david keith i was like okay like i totally get why they put zach in this this new Mm -hmm. one like i can really see him being like the kind of like himbo dad who just wants the best for his daughter i agree but i'm very concerned i I am not the number one zach efron fan on this planet but i am concerned and i'm also especially concerned because of who's producing it and i think we'll get to that whole conversation a little bit later if that's okay with you my friend so I'm wondering, what did you like about this movie? Like, on, on this watch, what about it was a yes for you? I think the score is really cool. Tangerine Dream did this, the music, which mm-hmm. I think is 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 pretty awesome. Although, I will say um, that it kind of reminded me of, like, a John Carpenter score. So I thought that was kind of interesting um, as we get, like, further into talking about his version. Um, and I, I did love Drew. Like, I... 
I'm a big fan of Drew, period. Like, I'm just obsessed with her since I was a baby. And um, I think she's been a part of so many, you know, horror fans' lives, too, because she has been in, you know, something like Scream. So we've seen her sort of grow up in these different genre roles. And to go back and sort of see her, like, own this movie and, like, like really pull at your heartstrings like her dad freaking dies in the climax i know and like she she really does kill it i don't know if she's as good as like she was in something like et but i, I like i think she's still pretty strong here and i think that that really stood out to me this time because like for a kid actor it's like monumental the performance yeah. that they managed to pull from her um, it's probably not a good thing. It, it, like you shouldn't be doing those kind of things to kids. Don't just don't make movies about kids unless it's animated. But she fucking really made it emotional, and and she really pulled it off. It's, I was really impressed with Drew Barrymore's performance today, and it, I cried multiple times. Yeah, maybe I'm just not in the world's best headspace, but <laughs> I was sobbing throughout this film, especially for some reason, specifically in the first half. Yeah. And they're just trying to survive. And you get little snippets about the mom, who's played by Heather Locklear in this version. You get sense of what happened to her, but not exactly. You know the mom died. For a little bit in the movie, you kind of think that maybe uh, Charlie might have killed her with fire. Yeah. Because they keep talking about a moment in the kitchen where Charlie set her on fire. But then you see the moment, and it's really not that bad. And then she's just sort of dead. And Andy kind of just blames it on the agents do you have a better idea of what happened to the mom i don't i i thought she maybe like killed herself but oh i was i wasn't positive on that front i wonder i'm sure the book has more insight onto that um the tangerine dream score was interesting i okay i only saw near dark when i was very young but my memory of it was that the music was like really distracting and i remember it was that tangerine dream score okay so when i saw tangerine dream come up on the opening credits today i was nervous but it but it works in this movie especially in like 2022 reflection mode yeah I, like it really build a vibe yeah yeah or, or, I, mm-hmm. I really think it it hit um and it it just felt so 80s to me like like extremely 80s oh yeah um this movie also like really you go, oh my god, like, the first season of Stranger Things is, like, literally, like, Eleven is Charlie. Yeah, it's just Charlie. Yeah. Steve, all of Stranger Things is just, like, complete Stephen King trope ripoff mode. And it's like, is this an homage? It's hard to, I mean, obviously it is, but does it go too far? I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm, but it, like, I was having flashbacks to Stranger Things the whole time watching the movie. I was like, I was like, this is this is like so blatant. You it's know? it's very blatant, especially because it's also another like rat, um, straddles the line between sci-fi and horror mm-hmm. in the way, like in a very Stephen King way that they pull from directly. I'm wondering, Em, what didn't you like about the film on this watch? What didn't like? What was not the moment for you? I think like um, when they first get to the shop headquarters, um, I found it like was a little bit slow in that part. Um, And then Mm -hmm. I really and when we're at the shop, too, is kind of when um, George C. Scott's character Rainbird comes Mm -hmm. in. Yes. And I uh, George C. Scott, obviously a pretty iconic actor, and he's been in some some truly great uh, movies, including The Changeling, which is um, an eight, 1980 horror movie that I absolutely love. But I think here, like the, the character is supposed to be a Native American mm-hmm. uh, and he's playing this part. And it, it just I don't know that he was the choice, you know, <laughs> it's interesting because they definitely go indigenous with the casting in the new film as well. So I'm assuming um, it must be privy it must be part of the novel but uh, yeah i'm glad that you brought it up because while i can't put my thumb onto why i feel like it was a little bit icky with what was going on with that character it just was yeah well like just even like he's got like a long ponytail Mm -hmm. and it just like you you just could tell I didn't even, like, know the first time that I watched it that it was supposed to be a Native American character. And I could tell in the way that it was characterizing that it was supposed to be a Native American character. And I know that George C. Scott is not. And it just, in the, in 2021, or 2022, oh my god, I, like, sometimes I can't remember what year <laughs> I we're in. Know. Um, 
2022 lens, it just feels like irresponsible because there are so many movies that are really making that effort to cast mm-hmm. people um, of the correct uh, nationality yeah. to play yeah. these characters. So. so that's huge. The fact that they, I'm assuming, cast a white actor or just not a just not an appropriate casting choice. And then the character himself is is interesting. We get... So he's the main villain of this film, and he's the one that's, like, really hurting Charlie the most. And we have this very strange scene between him and... With Martin Sheen, who's sort of in charge of the shop. And John says to him, like, when you're done with the girl, I want her. And he's like, what do you mean you want her? He's like, I want her, I want... And he doesn't exactly say... Like, for what or how, but we're just given the icky sense that it's not good. And they never fulfill that. They never, like, touch base on that again. But it has some pretty obvious, like, pedophilia oogie boogie to it. Did you make that interpretation as well? Yeah, actually, I was going to ask you because there's, like, like a lot of scenes. Basically, he kind of tricks her into thinking that he is a friend, right? Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of a grooming situation, really. Oh, my Um, God, yeah. Um, where he like he pretends to be sort of like a janitor, I guess is what you'd call her, like a cleaner or something at the mm-hmm. shop. And he comes into her room and is like talking with her. And they even have this like kind of like nice moment where it's it's dark in there in her room. The lights are off, and he's like, "I'm scared because I was in the war." It was and, like, so weird. It's it was like a so very weird, weird scene. But in that scene, he puts his like hand on her knee at one point because she's like she's being the sweetest kid ever, and she's like comforting him. But like <laughs> it just felt like a little bit like that kind of icky sort of grooming style of behavior where you like manipulate a kid into you know relating to you and feeling emotionally attached to you in a way where they might trusting you yeah trust you yeah and so that scene really kind of like gave me the ick and then i like now that you mentioned that other scene like yeah it it definitely the whole thing felt like very creepy on a whole other level yeah and i wish i had read the book because i think maybe we'd have a stronger sense of what was actually going on with that scary stuff but the movie leaves it unanswered yeah. Um, and yeah. I, there's also a sense that maybe he like wants to harness her power. Like maybe it's he wants to like use her to control the world. I yeah. don't know, but it's it's pretty gross. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's this new book by Stephen King. It came out a couple of years ago called The Institute, completely revamping all of these tropes again. It's about a bunch of kids that are abducted from their homes by a government agency who want to do experiments on psychic kids and then of course it's like not fun and scary so like he really comes back to it over and over again um and yeah it's never done as well as carrie carrie is number one yeah he really started with a bang you know like first book just just killed it you know yeah i love it um do you have any final thoughts on 1984's Firestarter before we move on into John Carpenter's version of events. I did find it interesting that the writer, Stanley Mann, uh, was Canadian. He also wrote um, the movie The Collector, which is from 1965. And that is, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Josh, but I actually haven't myself. But I've been really wanting to, but I find the concept really creepy. Um, Malcolm McDowell's in it, and basically he's this, like, serial killer slash rapist that, like, collects women and also collects butterflies, and he, like, keeps them in captivity. It's like that the whole thing and i just kind of thought that it like kind of related to this and like keeping these beautiful like amazing creatures um you know under glass so that you can control them that's scary you said the 60s eh yeah that was 1965 and it's like it's a pretty um pretty well-known movie sort of like cult movie that is definitely like extremely creepy and i i want to check it out the guy also co-wrote damien uh the omen 2 so he's, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah uh i that i would love to have it's a it's a blind spot for me i've only seen the original omen and the remake which by the way is not bad i would love to go through all of the sequels including number four which was a canadian direct-to-video moment yeah, I would like to, too. I, I'm kind of in that moment. I've been watching all the Texas Chainsaws this week because of the new one. And I, it, there's nothing better than going through, like, a series of, of horror, a horror it's franchise. fave. It's I love best. trash horror sequels. That's my number one type. 
Yeah. Um, so this is why we're here today. This is the main event. This is the golden ticket. John Carpenter's Firestarter. Did you know before I approached you with this topic that John Carpenter had been signed on? No, that John Carpenter had signed on to direct Firestarter originally. I did know that because I, mm-hmm. as you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of John Carpenter uh, in general. And so it, it was something that maybe even my boyfriend Perry told me because he's he's maybe even a bigger fan of John than me. Um, and it is interesting because uh, we know that, you know, John did eventually do a Stephen King adaptation. Um, uh, and I Christ- just, yeah. Christine, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got some interesting ties to the King verse. Mm-hmm. Um, so back when the thing was in production, Universal took a look at what was being made. They were really impressed because obviously the thing is incredible. And they hired John Carpenter to uh, adapt Firestarter. Um, now, unfortunately, the thing came out around the same time, like I think a couple of weeks difference between E.T. And audiences loved E.T. Like, E.T. was this huge phenomenon with critics, audiences. It was just, like, the zeitgeist of when that came out. And so when the thing came out afterwards, it was just not the moment. People were not feeling this very dark, very scary, very violent version of Aliens. They wanted E.T. And so for some reason, Crazy 80s decided that the thing was not good, they, it got panned, it didn't do well with critics, and it didn't make very much money at the box office. People thought it was cynical, mean, and boring. So when the thing was released and it was a big flop, uh, the studio got nervous and they decided that they were going to try to get John off the project. So Carpenter hired Bill Lancaster to adopt the novel into a screenplay, and Stephen King approved of this mix. In an interview a little bit down the line, we found out exactly how they managed, or how Universal managed to shrug John off of the project. And so this was a quote. John had a play or pay deal, which meant that whether Universal made the film or not, he would get paid. Uh, It's a normal deal for talent with clout to get and hold their attention. When the marketing folks at Universal got cold feet because of the thing not doing very well at the box office and Stephen King films were clogging up the pipeline and not doing very well, they decided uh, that since John wasn't very good at delivering low-budget films, that they would cut the budget from $27 million to $15 million. And since John didn't have to agree to do that, he didn't. And so that's, I think, how they sort of removed John from the project. The blog of Sir David Hughes... I find it very interesting that John Carpenter wasn't known for doing low-budget films successfully because he invented the successful indie (laughs) low-budget film. Yeah, yeah. So I don't – why do you think that happened? How do you think that we got to that place? Well, I guess, like, what was the budget on the thing is the question. Like, I think they were they were just so shocked by how the thing performed that, like, they just lost all faith in him. It's it's kind of like – you know, they always talk about uh, women going to director jail. It's like they get one chance to like mm-hmm. hit it big, and then all of a sudden, if they do, if they don't succeed, then they're just like not allowed to do things. And I think, even though John Carpenter had this this clout with Halloween, he hadn't shown that he could like really repeat that again. Like the fog did okay, um, the thing didn't do so well like he was kind of he'd kind of lost his luster that he had with assault on precinct 13 and and halloween and i think that you know sometimes when when money is involved people get scared and they get Mm -hmm. nervous and it and and i think that john like they needed to see him prove himself again and of course he'd make more movies later on in the decade that would help his case but i think it was just just poor timing for poor john yeah it's sad and it could have been really interesting because the actor that he had chosen to play Andy, which was Richard Dreyfus of Jaws fame. What yeah. do you think of this casting? Well, I also think um, Richard was also in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm-hmm. um, which is, of course, another alien story. And I think he was like really at a, at a peak moment. And he's obviously, I think he's cute as hell so uh, back in that day. And I think he could have been like a really nice, relatable 
um, dad character and could have maybe like sold the film in the same way that, you know, Drew and ended up selling the film that was made. Mm-hmm. So so I think it could have been a really slam dunk choice. But Jaws was like a full decade earlier. And I feel like during Jaws, that's when he would have been the perfect age to play Andy. Do you feel like he would have been a little bit too old for this? Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Age wise, he might have not been right. I, I, I really think that David Keith. I want to say Keith David every I'm time. Too. Every time I think I think the same thing. <laughs> and I love Keith David. I know. Star of the thing. Um, well, of course. <laughs> but uh, but I think age wise, like look wise, I think like David Keith, like probably was was the right kind of choice for mm. the dad of of somebody of of Drew's age. Yeah. And they kind of look to like too. Is there any other casting in your mind, in your heart, in your mind's eye? from the 80s that you think would have made for a good Andy if the Carpenter version did come? Like, hmm. who do you think would have been? Who would you have cast? And I'm um, sorry to put you on the spot like this, and I will cut out the pauses. Hold on. So who would have been? I'm sorry to do this to you. This is rude. No, no. Do you, do you have a thought? Not at all. Couldn't tell you a thing about the 80s I right think. Now. I think... Okay, I'll, I'll I'll say this. I think that ultimately the star of Firestarter to me is Charlie, and that mm-hmm. matters more than anything. So huge news. I think that I don't care as much about who played Andy. I think like whoever mm-hmm. played Andy had to have the chemistry with Charlie, and I yep. think that that's the most important thing. Where do we know David Keith from? Like, is what like where else would I have known him from? Do you know? Honestly, he hasn't been in a lot of like major stuff. Like, I looked him up because I was like, man, he was so cute and charming. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, Very. why wasn't he like a bigger deal? The only thing that I really like knew him from was like, do you remember the movie The Indian and the in the cupboard oh, of course yeah he was the indian apparently what so. <laughs> not what i was expecting you to say <laughs> i know i know so oh god okay yeah, yeah. weird <laughs> yeah. he was the dad no okay yeah he, he should have been the cupboard um, yeah yeah i mean that was like t- over 10 years after this so you know like he, <laughs> yeah yeah he, he might he have been kind of old at that point yeah. should have been the cupboard he um, sh- should have been in church Resting, yeah and this is the version that stephen king wanted and approved of so it's a little bit too bad that people decided to follow the money instead of following the talent and ironically at the end of the day this movie made i think just like a little bit more than the thing it was basically the same level of flopperina so uh they kind of got what they deserved in my opinion yeah yeah, I I really would have loved to have seen what John could have done with this. Like, like I'm a big fan of Christine. Are you a fan of Christine? I don't know. I it's 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 just like Firestarter, where okay. it's one of those Stephen King movies I saw as a kid. I, I didn't like or I didn't dislike. I just didn't. I didn't make enough of an impression for me to revisit ever again. Okay. I would recommend it, like, especially because I know you've been working on a project that's kind of got a 50s feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that, like, Christine really does a good job there. And there's also fire in Christine. So I think that John could have handled the fire here. He <laughs> yeah, he's he's fire experience. Yeah, exactly. So and it also what kind of would have been fun to think about him going from The Thing, which is like, a, obviously, like a winter icy movie to Firestarter. Mm-hmm. I think it just would have been like kind of a sweet poetic transition justice interesting that you bring up the fact that the thing is so frosty uh it came out in the middle of the summer which i think is a very weird time to release the thing i think that the winter would have been more of a mood more of a vibe maybe people would have been able to get into it a little bit more but it's sunny outside everyone has et plushies it just wasn't in the air yeah, um, yeah. I think it's also like this is the era, speaking of E.T. and speaking of Steven Spielberg, like I think mm-hmm. this was the era of the or the dawn of the blockbuster. So which we when we think of blockbusters, we always think of summer, right? Like it like the summer blockbuster, the big movies that are released in the summer that mm-hmm. people go to see with their all kids are out of school. They can go, you know, and Jaws was like the first big blockbuster. And so I think that like people were like, oh, th- I think they believed in the thing 
before it was released because John was who he was, but also it was an adaptation of something that had already existed. So people probably thought like, oh, like this is already proven to to kind of work. Um, so I think they like they put a lot of faith into it, and that's why they put it in the summer because they thought, oh, you know, it's going to perform well. It'll be like it'll be a hit, and they. Um, they miscalculated and I and I do think like I know I rewatched the thing in the winter. Like it's just it is a winter movie to me. I like that. I'm wondering, other than Christine, what Stephen King major property do you think that John Carpenter would have done well with? I find my favorite John Carpenter movie has to be Halloween. Um, and I think he does really well when he's like I don't know, holding back a little bit or being a little bit quieter. So I think that Salem's Lot, he could have done a a very frightening, very cool um, interpretation of that. Because at the end of the day, that's, you know, it's about a small town. It's It's a story about one man. It's very insular. The scares are very creeping and small comparably to something like this. So that... I, yeah, I think that would be my pick is that I would have loved to see like a big budget 1980s um, John Carpenter Salem's Lot. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, I think he would also do a really good job of that. I think that would have been really awesome. I was thinking like I, I do like the adaptation of The Dead Zone that exists, mm-hmm. but I think he could have also done The Dead Zone. Uh, so funny. I was thinking that one as well. I'd like to hear more about why you picked it. Well, I just uh, rewatched The Dead Zone not long ago, and it is it is such an interesting entry in Stephen King's filmography because it's like kind of like a political allegory, and I and I just think it's like kind of a small town movie um, with yeah. higher stakes, and it's a little bit actiony too. And I think that John does have experience with that, so I just I just think he could have like pulled that one off. But I, that's not to say that I think that it was a wrong choice the way that they went with the the Dead Zone. I think it's a pretty good movie. I love that choice as a gazebo gay. I mean, I love the Dead Zone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just was writing about it for Dread recently, and I learned that when they were filming the Dead Zone, I think it was like early '80s, maybe 1981. I forget that it was it was filmed just north of Toronto in Canada, of course, or mm-hmm. where we live, and that it was like one of the most cold, freezing, horrible winters on record. And that you can kind of see it on the film. Like it just looks kind of frosty and frozen. Yeah. And I love that. And apparently the actors were not happy. It was like very painful for them. I'm sorry, Christopher Walken. I'm really, really sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that was a bad. Do you have a better Christopher Walken impression to uh, make mine go away? I don't think I do. I, I feel wish... like you're, you're good at impressions though, so I, I want to hear it. I know, but it's like, is that my brand? It's not a Kate Bush impression, you know? It's, it's like do so... You, do you have a Kate Bush impression? Yeah, I, don't I have even to be know. singing. I have to be singing. Okay, okay, okay. No? okay. Yeah. That's, but... that's fair. But um, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Christopher Walken. I'm very sorry that it's so cold here, but you were yeah. good. You were good in the the dead zone. And Martin Sheen, who was in uh, you know Firestarter, was also in the dead zone. And did you kill Natalie Wood, or were you just there? Or you know, it's hard to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So since we're here, since we're queer, since it's the time of the year, I thought <laughs> we could talk about Firestarter, a 2022. How do you feel about that? Let's go for it. I'm re- I'm ready to get the flame going. Ignite the spark. There's so many funny fire fucking puns to make <laughs> for this one. And I appreciate that. So yeah. the new Firestarter movie is coming up and it's directed by Keith Thomas, the director of uh, The Vigil, which was a TIFF oh. hit. Yeah. Like about um, Judaism and folklore and that kind of a thing. Very cool movie. And, of course, based on the Stephen King book, um, I believe it's being marketed as, like, a straight-on reboot of the 1984 movie, which is cool, because everyone always goes, it's not based on the movie, it's just based on the book. But, like, you know, own it. You're rebooting the movie. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It stars Zac Efron, Ryan Kara Armstrong, Sidney Lemon, Michael Grayeyes, and Kurtwood Smith. Um, So iconic. Whenever I see... um, kitty or red show up in anything i freak out 
Like, you know what? He is ha- Kurtwood is having a moment because they have that that's a 90 show that's coming out. I heard she's gonna, it's both of them, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I can't wait. They knew it. what the power of that show was, and it was the if it was them, yeah. it was Kitty and Red. I, Kitty, I, I identify, I identify more than identify. I, uh, it's everything. Kitty yeah. is the best character in the, it's just the funniest character in the history of mankind. Yeah. Love you, Kitty. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Firestarter 2022 is going to be released by Universal Pictures, uh, in theater and on Peacock, same day, May 13th, 2022. Can I give you just a little bit of a production history on this movie and where it came from? And, how it came to be. Mm-hmm. So all the way back, back, back in April of 2017, Universal and Blumhouse announced that they were going to be rebooting Firestarter with Akiva Goldsman producing alongside Jason Blum. So red flag. I don't know if you guys know anything about Akiva Goldsman. He has his fingers in Hollywood for a long time and has been involved with Stephen King properties as recently as... The Dark Tower, even even more recently. I don't know if he's been involved on Chapelweight or anything. But yeah, so he ruined the Dark Tower, and now he's going to ruin Firestarter. Um, so on June 18th, though, good news, we did discover that Scott Teams was now assigned to write the script, and that Keith Thomas was going to be the new director of the film. Whoa. He is the co-writer of Halloween Kills. Oh, Oh <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. So, so the director of the vigil and the writer of Halloween Kills was coming. Firestarter, interesting. All right, I mean, listen, hard to know. I'm not going in with heavy expectations because I think that would be a mistake. But you never know. You never know. Yeah, I uh, on IMDb it is showing that he's also attached to Insidious Five. Uh, teams. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I know. I know. Directed by the one and only Patrick Wilson, honey. Love it for Patrick. Love it. Love I'm it glad. For Patrick. I don't know. I, uh, yeah, me too. I just like don't know if I want someone learning how to direct on an Insidious movie, my favorite franchise of all time. But I get it. I get it. I just think Patrick Wilson is is a weird man, and I am. Is he? Yeah, well, that's cool. I, I get, like that for him. I get, I get a weird vibe from him. But uh, Scott Teams, okay. I, I will say, and I, I, I think that we'll get there, but maybe this is the time. Like we, the trailer just came out for Firestarter, this new one, and I am like a little mild on it right now Me as too. far as what it looks like. I was kind of hoping that it would be like a little bit more uh energetic like i think that something that works about the 80s one is that like i do feel like it is kind of like fast moving and and like and kind of like i don't know if fun is the right word but i I think like you have a good time watching it and i I, i'm not getting that vibe from this one like i actually got the vibe of the new pet cemetery from this oh no (laughs) that's so funny i thought ryan kara armstrong was the daughter of the new pet cemetery but no 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 she is in another recent Stephen King big budget movie. She has a scene stealing role in it chapter two. Do you oh. want to remind us? Oh, do you, uh, um, let me tell a little bit about it. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, Ryan Carey Armstrong plays this, the role in it chapter two. You might remember there is a standalone moment where a little girl leaves her family at a sports event. And oh. I believe fires follows a, f- a firefly underneath the bleachers Yes. And she encounters uh, Pennywise there and gets murdered. And it's a, it's, it, you say what you will about It Chapter 2. It's one of the better moments. I feel like we talked a lot about it on the It episode that we did, actually, that yes. specific scene. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so she really killed it in that. And I'm sure that's where she got noticed for this. So now that she has a bit of a Stephen King pedigree, which is pretty cool. I'm interested because, like, I get the sense that she's older uh than yeah. drew was uh yeah. in the the 80s one so i kind of think that there there could be some interesting sort of additional layers with being like a like a tween or a young adult um yeah. trying to control your like urges and your abilities like i think that kind of like plays into sort of puberty and that kind of thing so i think that could be interesting but i also think like 
there's something like kind of scary about like an even younger girl having these powers where like we see how emotional Charlie is in the 80s one and how mm-hmm. like easy it would be for her to sort of set her mom on fire, set her mom on fire, but like not mean to. Whereas like if you're a little bit older, like the power could come in a more uh, mean spirited way or like, I hate my mom right now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm frustrated and I want to mm-hmm. act out. I'm going to set her on fire, you know? Yeah. Um, so it could, it just could be like kind of an interesting, like, like different twist as opposed to, and they probably can do more also with an older child than like. Yeah. And little kids like that do not need to be performing that level of intensity roles. Like just CGI them in basically. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I think one of the more exciting, interesting facts about this upcoming film is just last week when the trailer was revealed, we also learned that John Carpenter and son Cody Carpenter, along with Daniel Davies, are going to compose the score. And I believe we hear bits of it in the trailer. And I think this is the best move they could have done because I think, I mean, who who better to do the score for this movie? Yeah, like, we've talked a lot about it, you and I, but, like, John, you know, if you're not even into his his films, like, his his work as a uh, composer is just quite incredible. Like Amazing. He, yeah, like, really stand out. And he's done, you know, the score for the new Halloween movies as well. Those are some of my favorite parts of Which those the movies. the best part of those new movies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that... Um, this is a great choice and it's just it is kind of a funny choice like he's eventually gonna get to work on a Firestarter movie I know I wonder how he feels about that and I wonder if that was part of the marketing campaign but probably not I don't think the general public will have any knowledge of that so it must be weird for him yeah yeah weird but like uh, he's getting paid and that's really what he cares about these days yeah I think that is what he cares about these days and good for him get those coins babe yeah. Um. You mentioned already, but I'm wondering your overall thoughts on this trailer. How did it leave you? Where did it take you? What did it do? I'm mixed on it. Like I, I will definitely watch it. And uh, as I expressed many times on this this show, uh, I like Zac Efron. I do think that like I'm a, a little concerned that this is going to set him on a path of doing serious roles again. And I do think that his strength is in comedy, actually. Okay. Um. Which um. Like if anyone has seen the movie The Beach Bum, he's in it. He plays like a significant role in that movie, and he's so funny in it. And I think that he like needs to be like a himbo. That's that's what he is in real life, and I think that that's where he shines. So I I'm interested to see how he plays in this movie. But I'm like also happy for him to get like you know paid to be in this movie, and and maybe mm-hmm. maybe it'll lead to some more work for him. But I. Uh, I'm less familiar with like the other cast members, so I think like that's kind of what I'm leaning on. But I am I'm really thrilled that Michael Gray Eyes is is gonna play uh, Rainbird in this one. Michael Gray Eyes, you may have seen him in um, Blood Quantum, uh, and he's been in like quite a few like indigenous um, films in Canada. So he's definitely like he's definitely like a significant um, actor, and I think like I'm so glad that they went in that direction, the right direction with that mm-hmm. character for this one. Very interesting to see how villainous the character is going to be this time around. I hope that he's scary. Um, another Canadian connection is that the new film was filmed in Toronto, Hamilton, and that area in Ontario. So another Canadian queen, Stephen King moment. I love to see it. Yep. Um. So if you're cool with this, why don't we head into conclusion territory? Because mm-hmm. I have a big question for you. Usually we ask on this podcast... If we think a film is going to get made, not if we think, are we going to allow it to get made? But I think that this is a bit of a special, different opportunity. And I want to know, do you think John's version would have been better than what we got? I think yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it could have been similar in spirit. Like, I, I don't think he would have done something like totally different than what we got. But I think it would have been stronger and i think it might have been scarier um well, for sure scarier yeah and so i think that that would have been the strength that he brought to it in addition to probably like doing the score for the film as well mm-hmm. um i don't know like how he is working with child actors so that would have been kind of interesting and i wonder if he still would have gone with like a drew Barrymore in in that role and i think like to me drew is such a key to the success of that film and and i would i would hate to have lost her um in the role so good 
Yeah. She will make you cry. I cried so many times. She yeah. cry so many times, too. I know. The poor baby. She's so cute in this. I, I love know. her so much. Oh, I love you, Drew. It's weird that she, like, still is kind of... She's still doing her thing. She's in my alg- She's in my YouTube algorithm. For some reason, YouTube figured out that I will watch clips of the Drew Barrymore show. And so, now it knows... But, you know, it's better than the way that the YouTube algorithm is treating the boomers. So it's okay. I like the Drew Barrymore show. Yes. Well, listen, uh, I'm happy for Drew. Continued success always. Um, and I am looking forward to the day that she invites Zac Efron on the show and does like a recreation of like a fire you know starter. she will. Yes. You know that when Firestarter comes out, that that's all she does. When Scream came out, she was not shy. Not shy about it. I know. So it, it's going to happen. Like in May, we will have some sort of fire start. There's moment. no doubt in my mind. Actually, I cannot wait. <laughs> no doubt. Um, Very cool. How do you think the new film's going to be, if you had to guess? I think it's going to be okay. Okay. I think it's going to be okay. Um, But I'd love to be surprised by it. I really would. Me too. Me too. Hard to know from trailers. They don't tell the truth. Um, Can't know either way. But I agree. I would love to see another big budget Stephen King win because I think that the culture kind of goes in ebbs and flows peaks and valleys with Stephen King popularity and you know I think right now we're kind of in a bit of a lull so it would be very cool to see this put him back front and center yeah do you think just quickly like that part of the reason they wanted to do Firestarter is that there's such a like superhero kind of like like trend right now and like it is sort of like an like an x-men type of thing of like these people that have abilities Ew, probably yeah i didn't think about that i, mm-hmm. I haven't thought about it so hard but yeah you, you, that makes complete sense because yeah. it does have that vibe and the trailer is showing that like she's special leave her alone yeah have you seen the trailer for the new pinocchio yeah that's yep i feel like i sound like him and it makes me laugh oh now I have to watch it again with that in mind. Father, stop. It's so funny. Yeah. I do think that like what I what I did pick up on the trailer, and I might have to watch it again. So if, if this does appear in the trailer and I missed it, um, please ignore me. But I uh I don't know that they emphasize like that he has powers in right. the trailer that much. Like it's really focused on like him helping her. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if that's still going to be a key part of the plot or if she just mm-hmm. has these abilities her own herself, you know, I, I don't totally know. forgot that the father had powers. Yeah. That's just like not part of the story that I remembered. I can't say that I was mad at it. I thought it was cute and it brought them sort of closer together Yeah, and it made him do some crazy stuff like blinding people. That was scary. Yeah, um, there were some really scary moments. Actually, there were some scary moments in the original film that were very Stephen King. Like, there's early on when they're doing those experiments, and there's just a shot of like where they're telling them that like they're t- taking them out to hallucination. It's gonna be fine, and you just see this guy going insane and ripping out his eyes in terror, which is just like such a Stephen King beat. But yeah. it scared me. Yeah, that is scary. And even just the shop itself had sort of like an eerie quality because it was like almost too perfect. Like, yeah. and they were like, they gave her all those toys too. They were like, we're going to keep you happy with a oh, Nintendo so or whatever. Weird. And you're She's like, like this go is- away. Yeah. She's so funny in this movie a couple of times. There's this moment where this old man's like, when they're about to fight the government and this old man's trying to help them. And he's like, I'm going to go get my gun. And she turns to him and she says, you won't need your gun. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, get them, burn them up. Um, and yeah, then she does. It. She burn kills it to the so many people in this movie. I know, she good for her. Stop. Good, good for her subgenre. Although I don't know how I feel about those fireballs. Just make them burn up from the inside. Yeah, yeah. There, she sent that one guy like flying into a tree. That uh, was wild. And it looked good too. The, the special effects other than the fireballs were pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, they, they they. I was surprised. The fireballs was too much, but you know, <laughs> it's like oh, I forgot. It's the eighties. Speaking of the fire, I do worry that this new one will have like a lot of CG fire. As it already opposed does. To, yeah, it already so, does. So that could that could suck because I do think that like one of the strengths of the of the eighties one is that they did use real fire. So big yes to that, mm-hmm. Emily. Mm-hmm. Where can you be found on the internet if you so wish to be found? Yeah, um, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Emily Gagne. My last name is G-A-G-N-E. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm at Lady Gagne. Um, 
And you can also follow Final Girl Fashion. Um, I just did a post about Charlie uh, and her fashion in this movie. It's actually quite incredible, little girl fashion. Um, so check that out. And then, you know, I do, as Josh said earlier, I am the newsletter editor for Dread Central. So uh, you can subscribe to The Harbinger. That's the name of the newsletter. And uh, you will get a weekly email straight from me um, to your inbox with a little essay. Mm-hmm. Trust me, you're gonna want it. These are the best. What was the most recent one on? It was um. Oh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Because it was. Mwah. Yeah. Um. The last one I wrote about Mindy Meeks Martin, who is like a, one of the new characters in Scream, um, and is a descendant of Randy Meeks from from the original Scream. Um. And it was just kind of talking about how she's the landmark character uh, for the queer community. Um. Because she is. She's she's queer and like not just like oh, I'm queer and I have a little rainbow pin on, which she does, but she also I kisses know. girls. Like, it's like, yes, it's like, it's, it's real, you know? And, and I think it for a series that is like, I think of, of Scream being kind of a queer series anyways, because it is written by a queer man. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like gay icons throughout the series mm-hmm. that appear in the film. Like there hasn't been an actual queer, like full, queer representation like like people that are on screen being queer they maybe mention it in screen four but mm-hmm. we don't actually see a but guy no screen four does not count screen yeah. four no way um so yeah sign up for the harbinger everybody and we will see you next week for a brand new episode of development hell All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.